president pretty much elect Joe Biden has announced his dynamic new plan to address the pandemic. Biden, who campaigned for president by hiding in his cellar and wearing a mask, says he will recommend that all Americans hide in their cellars wearing masks until they too become president, then all the presidents can come out together and walk arm in arm into a bold new future of hiding in the cellar wearing masks. Biden says he will reverse the horrible pandemic policies of President Trump by encouraging American companies to develop the vaccine that was developed under President Trump. He will then mobilize the government agencies Trump mobilized in order to implement the distribution plan implemented by President Trump in order to get the Trump vaccine to the people Trump has arranged to get it to. By doing this, he says, he will overcome the irresponsible programs of the Trump administration by doing what they've already done, while the news media congratulates him on his brilliant new plan that is Trump's plan and cheers at how much better Biden's Trump plan is than Trump's Trump plan because it is much less disruptive than Trump's plan by being exactly the same so that nothing needs to be changed. Furthermore, whereas President Trump refused to implement an unconstitutional nationwide lockdown because he was too busy with his plan to develop a vaccine that made an unconstitutional lockdown unnecessary, President more or less elect Biden will implement the unconstitutional lockdown, which will not be necessary because of the vaccine and so will not be implemented because it's unconstitutional. Finally, in order to inspire Americans to do what's right, Biden will wear a mask and hide in the basement until the vaccine is delivered or it's nap time, whichever comes first. Biden says he believes his absolutely new plan that is Trump's plan will save the lives of hundreds of thousands of 90-year-olds, although it it may be difficult to tell whether, (laughs) whether their lives were saved or not. The news media's response to Biden's announcement was unanimously dishonest and corrupt. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. All right, we are back laughing our way through the last five minutes of The Republic. Uh, We're going to have Jenna Ellis come on and uh, tell me why I'm wrong about everything. And uh, we will also have the mailbag, so where I'm always right about everything. So it'll be kind of a a diverse show. Uh, Please go on the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel and subscribe. We already have over 200,000, but we're trying to get down to 35 by alienating every single person who is listening at this moment. So you want to uh, actually press that little bell, uh, and then that will we will send you fresh content uh, by tying it to a rock and throwing it through your window. If you leave a comment, and the comment is sufficiently ignorant and uh, racist and sexist, uh, we'll include it on the show because it'll just fit right in. Um, From Joshua Carmichael today, we have the comment, I was trying really hard to consider your point of view, but without celebrity cutaways, soulful piano music, and obnoxious repetition, I found it difficult to pay attention. Well, I'll try it. Difficult to pay attention. And now now we're doing it just like the, the real celebrities do. Later on the show, as I say, we're going to have the lovely and talented public enemy number one, Jenna Ellis, on, and she will discuss the work she's doing on behalf of the president, and she can tell me why all my concerns about that work are completely wrongheaded, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. But before that happens, I do want to re-report today's news. That is always I reported yesterday before it happened, because I always give you tomorrow's news today, which is that the election case most likely to make it to the Supreme Court was rejected by the court. 
Uh, this was the attempt by Trump allies to have the Pennsylvania mail-in vote, which skewed heavily for Biden, thrown out on constitutional grounds. Justice Alito denied that attempt. He also turned it over to all the other justices for possible dissents. Within 40 minutes, all the other eight justices signed off on Alito's decision. This was asking for an emergency stop to the certification of the vote because this was unconstitutional. The actual complaint is still in play, but this makes it sound like they're not going to listen to it. Now, we're going to talk to Jenna about all the legal parts of this, but I just want to make two points. One, the rejection by the Supreme Court, which was one sentence long, as it usually is in these cases, the rejection doesn't necessarily mean that there was no fraud or that even that the argument was bad. Uh, but there's something called the doctrine of latches, which we'll talk to Jen about, which basically means if you snooze, you lose. The GOP, as I have repeatedly pointed out, didn't stop these mail-in procedures before the election. They didn't uh, actually... Uh, sue to stop them enough. So now people voted in good faith, you know, regular decent Americans voted in good faith under these procedures uh, so they can't be deprived of their vote because it's too late. That's the doctrine. Uh, this may be why the, this may be why the court refused to hear it because they didn't say. And it may be why they'll also refuse to hear this big Texas case, which a lot of states have signed on to uh, seeking to overturn the votes in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. You never know, but I suspect they won't hear that either. But here's the other point which is actually more important in a way. Alito is a dependable conservative and Clarence Thomas is probably the most courageous conservative voice on the court or in government altogether. Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett are all new, but they seem pretty reliably constitutional, more or less. Each and every one of these justices, especially the three Trump appointees, has been accused of being a tool of the right or of Donald Trump in the same way some of the leftist judges like Sonia Sotomayor are reliable tools of the left. They will give you the left-wing opinion no matter what the law says. Some Democrats and their media, including Senator Chris Coons, The Hill, Slate, a lot of other venues, suggested that Trump wanted Coney Barrett in place specifically to resolve any election cases in his favor. So now we know that that was garbage. And though some of us may be disappointed the court refused to hear the case, we can be proud that Donald Trump appointed people of such honesty and integrity to the court that they did what they thought was right rather than what he wanted. No one, of course, could think that Justice Clarence Thomas was doing anything but what he thought was right because you couldn't move that guy off the dime with a bulldozer. The question now is whether Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, will give the justices justice by lining up outside their doors in sackcloth and ashes in order to apologize to Coney Barrett, Clarence Thomas, and the others. I'm holding my breath, and I know you are too. I'm still a total innocent when it comes to using my computer. I basically think I can do anything and nobody's going to be watching or endangering my material. It just isn't so. So I use LifeLock so they will worry for me. New research from threat intelligence firms reveals that cyber criminal groups are increasingly using ransomware and changing their tactics, techniques, and procedures to widen the scope of their cyber attacks, which greatly expands their pool of victims. And it could include you this holiday season. You could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit and bank statements, get LifeLock, the leader in identity threat theft protection. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. They will alert you if they see that. They have alerted me several times. It is very helpful to know if you become a victim of identity theft, and this is huge, LifeLock can help restore your identity easier than you could on your own. It is really tough once they mess you up. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can help you feel warm and protected this holiday season. Save up to 25% off 
off your first year by going to lifelock.com slash Clavin. That's lifelock.com slash Clavin for 25% off. You may need to go on the dark web just to find out how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. Now, today, before we get to Jenna, we're going to talk about uh, an actual conspiracy that's been going on and how it's different from a conspiracy theory. And I've talked about the fact that conspiracy theories are sort of machines for turning your grief into rage, something you're upset about, you can now explain away and actually think that you can do something about it even though you can't, instead of experiencing your grief and moving on, which sometimes is the only thing you can do. And I know that, you know, you're not supposed to say that on right-wing uh, radio, there's always supposed to be some good to being angry and you're fighting the fight and all that, but sometimes you gotta grieve and move on. But also conspiracy theories are bad because they basically are the idea that we are surrounded by brilliant masterminds who are masters of evil, neither of which is true. Most people are stupid uh, and incompetent, especially in government, and they're, most people are actually not evil. I mean, all people have their corruption, all people are broken, all of us, every single one of us, none of us is righteous, no, not one. But most people are trying to do their jobs well. This is what was so pernicious about the deep state argument from the left saying, oh, the deep state is wonderful because look, most of these people are good people. It's true, most of the people in the deep state are good people. They also have too much power and shouldn't be in that position. It's not them. However, let me just uh, read you. We're, we're, we're gonna be talking about today are what I call conspiracies of interest. Uh, they're not necessarily people in a room like in a James Bond movie, like, you know, the bad guys making these plans. Uh, they're just people who whose interests interlock and sometimes they don't even know they interlock and they do bad things and put themselves in bad positions because they're serving their interests rather than doing their jobs. For instance, we just got a new uh, terms of use from the from YouTube run by Google. And it says, our policies disallow content alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of a historical U.S. presidential election. We allow this type of commentary for current elections, but uh, December 8th was safe harbor deadline for the U.S. presidential election. Uh, so now they're not going to allow basically people to say that this election was rigged. So we will not ever, ever be saying that because this is the way that innocent people behave. They make sure that nobody can say that they're not innocent because they, you know, they're so innocent that that they don't even want people to say that they're innocent. So we will not in any way be suggesting that this election was rigged. I don't know if they understand that this just makes people angrier, more likely to, uh, you know, uh, convene in places where they'll only hear their own opinion shot back at them. But this is disgusting, and it is part of a conspiracy of interest that involves our old friends, the Communist Party in China. Now, this is a story that's coming out. Um, you know. This is a story that came out from Axios yesterday, and I didn't get a chance to, to get to it, but I'm glad I didn't because it's kind of developed now more. It's a story about a Chinese spy, a hilariously named Fang Fang. Her name was Christine Fang, and sometimes they called her Fang Fang. And I've entitled the show Fang Fang and Fart Boy because it involves Eric Swalwell, who may or may not have been sleeping with Fang Fang. Uh, now, Fang Fang was a Chinese spy. She was active during the Obama administration. Uh, and she, the, the according to intelligence people from Axios, again, she slept with two Midwestern mayors, apparently, and placed interns in high political positions. Now, they say that she didn't get her hands on any classified information. Uh, but that's not what she was looking for, obviously. She was looking for, I, I think, blackmail material. She was, you know, I mean, your friends 
know stuff about you that might be interesting. If you have power uh, and you're cheating on your wife or if you have power and you're doing some other hypocritical or dishonest thing, uh, that's something you can actually find out through gossip. You know, you can just find out by talking to your friends or sleeping with your friends. Uh, and clearly this was kind of, uh, this was a kind of um, mission to get influence, to gain influence over powerful people. Um, she got so close to Congressman Eric Swalwell, who is on, uh, on the Intelligence Committee. She got so close to him that um, the FBI had to come and give him what they call a defensive briefing, uh, tell him, telling him, this is six years ago, that this was a problem. And Swalwell apparently then broke off relations with her. What we don't know uh, is what those relations were exactly. Two sources uh, directly familiar with the counterintelligence investigation of Fang Fang uh, told the Federalist that she and Swalwell uh, had a sexual relationship. Uh, federal officials were so concerned about the romantic relationship between a congressman and a suspected Chinese spy that they investigated whether Swalwell might have tipped Fang off about the counterintelligence investigation after he was given the defensive briefing on the matter shortly before Fang Fang disappeared from the U.S. in 2015. She just suddenly left the country. Uh, a senior U.S. intelligence official told the Federalist again that investigators only uncovered limited circumstantial evidence that Swalwell may have tipped Fang off after he was warned of her connections to Chinese intelligence. Now, Swalwell, uh, who we all remember uh, because he passed gas loudly on television, uh, <laughs> television, uh, he also had that hilarious uh, presidential campaign ad where he said, I am you. Uh, so it turns out, uh, congratulations, you were banging a Chinese spy. <laughs> <laughs> the story, uh, the Axios uh, report goes on. Oh, no, Swalwell is now claiming, Swalwell says this happened six years ago. He's doing the old, the old Democrat trick. You know, this is an old story. It's an old story. It's an old story we're just finding out the information on. Uh, but he claims, he claims that this is being released uh, as a Trump move because he criticized Trump. What did he say about Trump? Let's hear. This is cut uh, 10. You're a member of judiciary. Do you believe the president right now has been an agent of the Russians? Yes, I, I think there's more evidence than he agent. is. Yes, and I, I think all the arrows point in that direction. And I haven't seen a single piece of evidence that he's not. An agent like in the 1940s where we had people who were reds to use in all terms, like that. In other words, working for a foreign power. He's working on behalf of the Russians. <laughs> so he's... he's <laughs> This, this show has really become a degraded. I, I, this show is beneath my dignity, and if it's beneath my dignity, I'm sure it's beneath yours. But, but obviously, Swalwell's a guy who can pass gas out of both ends because uh, he was accusing uh, Trump of being a Russian spy. You know, this whole thing—it's it, very reminiscent of the uh, Russian spy Maria Butina, who I actually met uh, at a. She was at a conservative gathering. Um, and she was um, sleeping with a guy I knew, uh, Paul Erickson, and he introduced her around uh, as someone who was looking to defend gun rights in Russia. And I remember her coming up to me in a string bikini uh, outside the pool and asking my advice. And my, you know, I have a spidey sense that's, that's pretty blunt where I thought, you know, I, I didn't think, oh, I'm being spied on. But I did think, you know, why is a, a beautiful young girl in a string bikini asking a middle-aged at the time man uh, for advice, which is such an easy way to seduce middle-aged men. But it turned out she was a spy, you know, and she was actually getting in on people. She's been, um, she was caught out. Anyway, so so this is something they do. This is what John Le Carre always called the honey trap. Uh, and this is what 
the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, uh, was writing about in a recent uh, Wall Street Journal piece and also what he talked to uh, Catherine Herridge about over at CBS's Cut One. They're our greatest adversary. We need to recognize China for the threat that they are. It's the greatest threat that this country has faced since World War II. It's our greatest challenge. Every generation has a challenge. Uh, Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, the Iron Curtain. This generation's challenge is China's intent to replace the United States as the world superpower. They have threatened uh, the U.S. way of life. We've seen that with COVID. That is a result of the actions of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, Americans' lives have already been impacted irreparably as a result of China's actions. They're just beginning. It's going to get worse. They want to set the rules in the world marketplace under authoritarian regimes that don't respect liberty, that don't respect privacy, uh, where the government comes first and individual liberties are sacrificed. Now, remember, the, the dangerous thing about China is that so far they have, aside from the fact that they're completely um, imperialistic in this regard, but, but so far they have been able to develop a, a system where they have enough of a free market so that they've lifted their people out of poverty, which is always makes people happy, uh, but that they give them no political freedom. Now, I have doubts whether that system is going to long endure because I don't think you can have a free market without having free people, but this is the thing that they're doing. And so keep that in mind because I want to talk about this greater conspiracy of interest. Now, Tucker Carlson yesterday played a video of this Chinese economics professor, Di Dongxing, which he says has been removed uh, from YouTube, uh, from uh, online, but we had it here and he played it yesterday uh, and he's speaking in Chinese, so I won't play it. But he basically says uh, that China had has many friends in Wall Street, on Wall Street and many friends in the power centers of the American establishment and that Donald Trump was a thorn in the Chinese side because he was not playing along with the game. He was not, uh, you know, this guy said, well, we used to be able to resolve our differences, but now Donald Trump has started this trade war with us. Uh, and, you know, we we can't fix him. We can't do anything about Donald Trump. He was too independent, uh, which really did make uh, Trump look terrific as far as I'm concerned. And it is true that we have been coddling uh, China and allowing them to steal gazillions of dollars in intellectual property, uh, at, you know, the, and uh, and contracts. They just they just ripped them off and nobody has said a word about it until Donald Trump came along. And finally, this professor uh basically said that Hunter Biden uh, was their link to the Biden family and that they were, uh, you know, that was part of their in with the establishment. And, you know, immediately Tucker, you know, said, well, this is why these international corporations that are our news industry were putting the kibosh on this Hunter Biden story. And listen, again, this is not, I, I want to get at Clavenon, right? Not the QAnon. I want to get at what the actual conspiracy is because there is a conspiracy of interest. I don't think these guys are all getting together, George Soros and, you know, the head of Twitter and Jack Dorsey and getting together in a room with, with the uh, president of um, with the president of China, I don't think they're all sitting around together, you know, plotting all this stuff out. What I do think is happening is they have a lot of things in common. We, we uh, talked about the World Economic Forum with their Great Reset. This is this Davos group who basically wants to seize uh, control of all countries' economics and arrange them so that they deal with things that they want to deal with. And the word you have to look out for, the word you have to look out for going forward is, um, is sh 
shareholders uh, and um, and stakeholders, I'm sorry, stakeholders is the word you want to look out for. Businesses that are working for their shareholders are trying to make a profit. That's a good thing. If businesses act honestly and they make a profit, that means they're doing their job. That means they're providing value to people. Well, when they start talking about stakeholders, what they're talking about is the community and they're going to do great things like NASDAQ saying every company in NASDAQ should have minorities on their board, not competent people on their board, but people who are hired according to quota. They're saying, oh, we're going to organize our economy so that we help the uh, climate, so that we do stuff about racism, uh, you know, the terrible panic of racism that's running through our, our countries. These are bad things. This means that these people are no longer going to be responsible to profits, no longer responsible to shareholders, but only responsible to what they think is right. So there'll be no way of judging them, no way of removing them from power, kind of like our legislature now, who don't make any laws, so we have nothing to hold them accountable for. This is, this is the problem. that, And they're always talking about global governance. Global governance is Chinese governance, right? Only America first governance is America free government. And that's why these guys all have an interest together. They don't have to sit around and plot. They're all moving toward a similar vision in which you and I have very few, little to say about what happens, but these big corporations are essentially governing people uh, without any kind of responsibility, either to their uh, shareholders or to the people they have so much power over. And that's why this YouTube thing is so, so upsetting. Well, the holidays are coming. This is one of the busiest times of the year. So what you want to do is get your ring doorbell. You want to put it down low and because those elves, you know, they come in beneath the camera line and you won't be able to see them when they're bringing gifts. You want to know who is outside your home and Ring can help you. With Ring, you can keep an eye on all the hustle and bustle, no matter where you are, right from your phone. Somebody comes to your door, you can speak to them, you can see them on your phone. It's not just the best time to have Ring in the holidays, but it's the best time to give Ring. You can see and speak to whoever's at your door. You can keep an eye on every corner of your house with easy to install indoor and outdoor cameras, and you can help protect your whole home with Ring Alarm, a powerful, affordable, whole home security system you can easily install yourself. For a limited time, go to ring.com forward slash Claven for special holiday offers. That's ring.com forward slash Claven. When those little elves come, you say, how do you spell Claven? You know, they, they talk like that. I, what can I tell you? But there are no ease in Claven. <laughs> I just make it look easy. All right. Have we got uh, Jenna Ellis? We have got the public enemy number one. Oh, man, we have unleashed a troublemaker on the world. <laughs> she is a constitutional law attorney. I don't have to tell you who she is. She is Donald Trump's lawyer. She has been fighting uh, the election fraud. Jenna, it's so nice to see you. I have been genuinely uh, worried about you. You know, they have been treating you. Uh, they have been punching you at the Wall Street Journal. They're running these personal attacks. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel yesterday made fun of you for uh, having COVID, which I thought was amazing. Amazing to have a comedian come on and make fun of somebody for getting sick, which I thought was uh, just wild. Uh, first of all, how how are you holding up? How are you? What's going on? Yeah, well, public enemy number one. That's uh, that's great because that sounds exactly like what the left calls Donald Trump. So I'm in good company, Drew. You know, this is something where the left just goes after people in personal attacks when they're being effective. And so the more of these kinds of attacks that uh, they come after me, you know, they're trying to diminish my credibility. They're trying to, um, you know, say, oh my gosh, she wasn't invited to the White House party, which is totally false. But you know, all of these just ridiculous claims. It's like you. They have absolutely nothing. And what they're trying to do, of course, is distract 
from the effectiveness of uh, saying that election integrity actually matters. And so, you know, of course, the left isn't coming after that because their whole talking point of there's no evidence has been thoroughly debunked by Mayor Giuliani and me over the last a couple weeks in all of these state hearings. So they have absolutely nothing. And, um, you know, it's I think it's it's ridiculous and it's tragic that they that they come after people this hard just for representing truth, representing a client, representing a position of interest. Um, and I think it tells you how far our society has gone when they take standards, they take law out of the picture, they don't want the rule of law anymore. And importantly, when they take God out of society, then they're willing to attack someone uh, personally and treat them like completely inhumanely uh, just because they don't like that particular person's policy positions or the client that they represent. It's, it's a, you, you could be the defense attorney for a serial killer and they would be saying, well, you know, she's representing her client and he has a right to representation. They wouldn't attack you personally, but go, but defend Trump and uh, it's, it, your life is on the line. It's, it's disgusting. It really is. I'm glad you're, you're looking good. I hope you're feeling all right and uh, I'm doing great. Uh, take care of yourself. <laughs> all right, good. I'm doing great. Um, and we're continuing to work. So it's, it's awesome. So yesterday, the uh, Supreme Court uh, refused to hear this emergency uh, injunction in Pennsylvania. And Jonathan Turley, I saw uh, on television, he's a good legal commentator. He said, you know, you're you're not only running out of runway, uh, you're basically trying to land a jumbo jet on a postage stamp. Uh, What what where do you feel this case is now? Honestly. Yeah, well, uh, importantly, the Pennsylvania case uh, is Mike Kelly's case. And so that one of the left's favorite points is to just muddle everything up and say <laughs> you know, the Trump campaign has a, you know, one in it's probably 47,000 now by now loss record, right? So that's completely untrue. And so uh, all that this shows is that there's so many other people um, who are congressmen, you know, legislators, um, entities that are really concerned about election integrity that are bringing good faith lawsuits. Now, uh, regardless of how those end up in court, I think it shows that a lot of people see the seriousness of what's gone on in this past election. They see all of the fraud that's gone on. They see that the rules were completely broken, disregarded. And that's where uh, the the Texas lawsuit comes in. And I think that that actually has the best chance right now because its original jurisdiction uh, filed directly into the Supreme Court. And the allegation in that case is, listen, you can't have election officials from uh, the governor who you know, of some of these states like Pennsylvania, who through executive fiat tried to change the rules in Pennsylvania, all the way down to these election officials on the ground telling people don't signature match, don't verify anything, just let people vote. Like what we heard in Michigan, um, you know, that woman, Jesse Jacobs, who was so scared to testify that she came forward and told uh, what her experience was. And as an eyewitness said, I wasn't allowed to, uh, to say that these ballots can't go through. And when you have this much systemic fraud and disregard of the rules, that ultimately ends up in a constitutional equal protection violation. And that's what's the biggest problem here is that the left does not want to recognize this. But what actually happened in this election is that you had election officials in at least six states that said, we are going to completely ignore the election law, the state law, the state constitution and the United States Constitution in order to get to an outcome. And that should not be able to stand. We are a nation of rules. And I've been very straight up with you, Drew, the last time we talked. It is a a big hurdle. It will be difficult 
to overcome this. But I think that with everything that we've seen through our investigations, through the witnesses that have come forward, that video in Georgia that was very damning, uh, that really proved what the witnesses had already told us. Uh, when you see all of the rules that were broken across these states, that cannot be allowed to stand. You can't have certification of election results on something that is so systemically wrong. And that's what the left does. They don't like the rules. They just disregard them. That's what they did with impeachment. That's what they've done. <laughs> that, yes. you know, that's what they've yeah. done with everything. They want the outcome that they prefer. They don't want to follow the rules. And the Supreme Court has to say, yeah, the Constitution matters. Will the Supreme, you know, I keep hearing about this doctrine of latches, which I, I kind of uh, intuited before I actually knew what it was, that, that they had moved, the GOP had moved too slowly to oppose these uh, changes that were theoretically uh, COVID-induced. And now the Supreme Court is going to say, well, look, all these people came out and they voted in good faith. I mean, there were a lot of people who voted in good faith, millions and millions of people under these rules, and you can't just erase their votes because you didn't stop the changes back then. Do you think that that is a, an obstacle? Well, two things. Uh, first, if we had tried to challenge this, which we did, um, and some states, of course, these were challenges, uh, what was yeah. met in the court was saying, well, that you haven't incurred a harm yet. And so this case is not ripe yet. And so now to say the opposite, to say, well, now you waited too long. I mean, okay, so two yeah before an election, a month after the election, when can we bring this case then? When can we ever challenge it? Uh, but then second, yeah, a lot of people did vote in good faith. And if they abided by the rules in their state, then that in and of itself isn't what we're challenging. What we're challenging and what especially Texas now is challenging is to say that the rules themselves were broken. And so even if you had all of these um, things like signature verification, um, you know, to say that the the envelope had to, had to uh, be cleared before the ballot was separated, all these ballots count it in secret. I mean, so many things that actually broke the law of the state and then ultimately the Constitution. That doesn't fall under the doctrine of latches because that's something that wouldn't have happened until Election Day. And so we didn't have the challenge until we actually saw what was on the ground. Now, that's a good argument. Now, you I've noticed that you. Sorry. I said, thanks. I am a lawyer. <laughs> <Despite me. laughs> you don't just play one on TV. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you you have been saying, you know, Donald Trump in his Trumpian way uh, has said, oh, well, everybody knows that I won this election and this, uh, it was stolen. But you've been saying something very different. Uh, I, I've noticed this. And it's one of the reasons I feel that the personal attacks on you are so out of, out of line that you what you've been saying is we want this election to be fair and you want future elections to be fair as well. Assuming that the the outcome is not overturned, which I think is is may not be a perfectly safe assumption, but I think that is the, where the odds are right now. Assuming it's not overturned, what chances do you think you have in future of preventing this kind of thing from happening again? Because it was chaos and absurd. Yeah, well, and that's what's really important. And I think that, of course, the mainstream media is trying to say that this is just about overturning the outcome and we're campaigning for President Trump. Well, of course, you know, he's uh, he's really upset as the candidate about this. I would be, too. I'm upset for him. Uh, but I also understand and he also understands that this is about preventing this from ever happening again in the future. And I think that in all of the states that Mayor Giuliani and I have gone and talked to, I mean, these legislators are very, very concerned. And, you know, we have two years in 
until the midterms. We have four years until the next presidential election. And I think that uh, bringing this to the forefront, bringing it to the light, even asking the questions like, why do we have um, a system that has that's connected to Wi-Fi that has removable media that sends our ballots to be counted in a different country? Why are we doing that? And so I think that uh, this fight, regardless of the outcome here, and I'm still very positive that we can get the proper, the right, the legally constitutionally accurate outcome here. But even if we don't prevail here, one, the fight has absolutely been worth fighting because it's always worth doing the right thing. And second, absolutely, this is going to affect the future. And if we can prevent this from ever, ever happening again, that is also a worthwhile battle. And I know that the president uh, thinks that as well. So I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because apparently I'm the devil, as many, many people have, have now told me. I have been deeply concerned about the, the president's approach, because if you tell people that this election was totally rigged while we still have the majority uh, to win in Georgia, uh, I'm afraid he's going to dampen the vote. Do you think I mean, you saw obviously you guys separated from uh, Sidney Powell and and that whole uh, the, the whole Kraken approach. But but still, I, I'm, I'm very concerned that that we're fighting the wrong fight here just as patriotic Americans, that the, the fight we have to fight is if Biden is going to be the president on January 20th, which I think would be a fair thing to suspect uh, that. We want to make sure that we hold the GOP holds the majority in Georgia. And I'm worried that this approach dampens uh, the enthusiasm, because why would you go and vote if you think the whole thing is rigged? Is the first of all, is the president aware of that? Are you concerned about it? Well, of course, he's aware of it. And that's why he went to Georgia last Saturday and he uh, held a rally, you know, for uh, Senators Leffler and Purdue. And of course, we're encouraging everyone uh, to get out and vote and to make sure that that process, I mean, whether or not those uh, safeguards can be in place before January 5th, um, that remains to be seen. I know that the Georgia legislature is looking at that very carefully. They're very concerned about that. Uh, But if we don't get out and participate, then absolutely, we're just giving the Senate away. And so I completely disagree with anyone who says that you should just stay at home and boycott. You have to at least participate in the process and try, of course. And uh, President Trump has never said don't participate in an election. But, you know, this is the same thing as saying, well, just because, you know, the the bank got robbed once, well, don't tell anybody because then they'll never want to come and do business with us again. No, you have to make sure that you address that and then maybe put tighter security around it and tell people what you've done and say, you know, okay, come back and participate here. But you have to deal with the crime that already occurred. And then you can look forward to that. And I think that Georgia is really uh, looking at uh, the January 5th runoff. And they're very concerned about making sure that there are other uh, parameters and what they can do between now and then, you know, remains to be seen. But every American um, that in Georgia, absolutely, if you are a legal resident of Georgia, and you can legally and lawfully vote, absolutely, you should get out and vote. And if there's the same type of election fraud, then we can challenge that at that time. But that doesn't mean that just because this election, there was so much corruption, either we ignore that or we say, well, it's just a guarantee that the next one, um, you know, so it's not even worth it to participate. So I think we can have those two parallel tracks simultaneously. I, I hope you are right. Jenna, it's great to see you. I'm glad you're doing okay. Uh, don't let, the, okay. as the French say, don't let the bastards get you down. I just look at God and have God on my side. And, um, you know, truth is always worth fighting for no matter who comes at you. So they've, they've tried and they've tried their hardest. And, uh, you know, that's, it doesn't get me down. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 
<laughs> good, good for you. It's great to see you, Jenna. Thank you. Great to see you, Teacher. So one thing that truly annoys me is when you have to or want to belong to a professional or interest organization, and they basically use your fees to support causes that you hate. That will not happen with the Association of Mature American Citizens, AMAC. Now, I'm not allowed to join because while I'm old enough, I'm not mature enough. I'm immature, but I'm sure most of you who are old enough are also probably mature. So if you join AMAC, you will get access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, a great bi-monthly magazine, but more importantly, AMAC will be fighting for things that you care about. They stand against socialism. They stand for freedom. So if you care about your future, join AMAC today. Over 2 million conservatives like you and me have already joined AMAC, although, like I said, they're more mature than I am. That's amac.us forward slash Claven. Stand with them by joining right now. The benefits of AMAC membership are great. The cause is greater. Join today at amac.us forward slash Claven. You should be old enough by now to know how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no All right. It really is good to see her, and uh, I'm wishing her the best. And, of course, you'll want to be armed with your Leftist Tears tumbler as Jenna is out there causing Leftist Tears. Uh, It is new. It's improved. It's gold-encrusted, coated with obsidian diamonds uh, here on the bottom, and this is platinum. Uh, Maybe this is platinum. Since since nothing I'm saying is true, it really doesn't matter which end is platinum. Uh, But the most important thing about it is you can put in a dishwasher, and that is what uh, what I love about it most. you got to be a member. To get one, you got to subscribe. Go to dailywire.com and uh, slash subscribe and subscribe. I'll be doing all access tonight, so you'll want to be part of that as well. Uh, you know, it really is part of a fight that we are fighting on a cultural level. We're going to be fighting on the uh, investigative journalistic level. We're going to have Candace Owens is going to have a show here. Uh, we are really gearing up, and we need your help because people come after us, uh, and they go after our sponsors. And if you guys are subscribers, then we are... Uh, protected from those kinds of attacks. So go on dailywire.com and subscribe. Uh, get It's dailywire.com slash subscribe. So that'll tell you what to do, which is subscribe and you'll get the leftist tears tumbler and help us out in a new battle in the new year. That was great seeing uh, Jenna. I'm really, uh, I was really happy to talk to her. Um, the mailbag is here. <laughs> Never play that on my show again. (laughs) From another side, we get Tim. Uh, He says, I was a poll manager in the 2020 elections in Georgia. I want to thank you for standing up for what you believe and following the facts. I know that many people have attacked you in the show for not towing the election with stolen line. I've been asked by many people what went wrong and if there was a lot of fraud that occurred in my precinct. And I can say that the election day voting was about as secure as it can get. Voters were given a paper. He then describes the process, which I've already described. He says, my question is, do you think the right will turn out like the left did in 2016, or do you think that we will see a Republican uh, revolution come out of this? Well, this is the, this is the question. Uh, this is the question. And the thing I worry about with these conser- conspiracy theories, and, uh, and not just conspiracy theories, even just ideas of conspiracy. And you heard the difference, I hope, between what Jenna is saying, what Trump is saying. And Trump is saying everybody knows this election was stolen uh, and, you know, he's upset about things. And Jenna understands that. But it's different to say we're going to make sure that the process uh, is better going forward, which I fully support. However, if we have a group of people on the right 
who basically say, oh, you know, nothing, everything is rigged. There's no way I can win. Uh, there's no way we can change things. Uh, we will become weaker than we are. It's what we're hoping will happen to the left. We're hoping that the left, the, the radicals on the left, uh, will basically throw up their hands and say, well, if the Democrats aren't going to uh, help us, we're going to take our ball and go home and basically divide the party. We don't want that to happen to us. We are poised for conservative victories. I keep saying this. We are poised for conservative victories. If we can take Georgia, we can make this presidency a nothing, basically. China, again, China has been exposed. The UN has been exposed. The media has been exposed. Social media, why do you think YouTube is censoring you? You don't censor people out of strength. You censor people out of weakness. And when they start to censor people, all they do is they're going to send a bunch of people off onto platforms where they only speak to themselves. That's not good for anybody. Uh, and I think we need to fight them. I think we need to fight them in court. I do not believe that YouTube or Twitter uh, or Facebook should be allowed to censor uh, voices on the right or anywhere. Uh, I think that they should be burned to the ground. I think the earth should be salted where they used to stand. I think their monopoly should be broken up. I think the regulations should be changed. Always remember, people keep saying, well, they're a private business. These are creations of the government. They were given rights by the government that no other business has had. They were given protections from the government that no other business has had. They have become monoliths. Uh, they have no right to censor anybody saying anything that is even vaguely reasonable. Uh, and so uh, what I want to see is I want to see Republicans hang together, even though we're going to have disagreements. They're going to be people to the far right. They're going to be people to the moderate right. They're going to be uh, social conservatives. They're going to be fiscal conservatives. They're going to be Ayn Randians. They're going to be people like me who think that's nonsense. I, I want all of us working together to make sure that American liberty stands. And so my concerns when we have these kind of impassioned uh, ideas and the left moving here, you know, the left is, they're like fang fang, right? They come in here and they start to play us off against one another. No, you know, we want people with different consciences working together. That's what we want. That's why you don't hear me condemning Jonah Goldberg, who I know is a man of conscience and who disagreed with me about Trump. You don't hear me condemning him. That's why you don't hear me, uh, you know, and Jenna screaming at one another, even though we have some disagreements. That's not the way it works. We have to stay together and fight for the country together. And where we disagree, we just have to move forward together. And that's that's my fear. My hope is, my and my hope and expectation is, is that we will move together and actually uh, stop the left, uh, hopefully in Georgia and hopefully going forward, because I think that we are poised for great victories. The people do not want this racist, leftist, communist takeover, globalist takeover of our government, that people don't want it. And if we stand together, we can stop them and get a lot more people on our side. Um, from uh, Alex, my wife and I have had mostly peaceful disagreements about video games. I've recently started playing Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic with our eight-year-old. I think playing good video games is healthy and stress-relieving for a child. What are your thoughts? What are some of your favorite video games if you do play? Uh, I'm a big uh, fan of good video games. I played them with my son, Spencer, no relation, uh, when he was growing up, and it was a great part of our uh, relationship, uh, sharing video games together. It gave me a chance to also be in the video game. So he just wasn't going off to a room by himself. Uh, and, you know, when he was little, he wasn't going off in a room by himself and being influenced by somebody else. I was there watching the game. And so I knew what was going on. My wife, too, did not like video games. And I said to her, you know, I think this is an important thing because I think it's I think especially for boys, it's really good for them to be in these heroic situations where they're fighting monsters and they can actually do it with their hands. It's not just reading a story. They can actually do it with their hands. Uh, C.S. Lewis said they're going to meet uh, dragons and 
and evil wizards in real life, so they might as well prepare for them with stories. I think video games do that. Um, my favorite video game of all time is ICO. <laughs> ICO. It's like 100 years old at this point, but I just loved that video game. It was a mixture of some kind of action, but a lot of puzzles. I love puzzle games. Uh, Braid inside. Uh, I also like um, third-person action games. Uncharted, Prince of Persia was a favorite. Gears of War, still a favorite. And I love what they call Twitch games if they're good. Super Mario and uh, Crash Bandicoot are my favorites. I'm playing Crash now, one of the hardest games I have ever played. Um, and so I, 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 I love them. I love them for their um, heroism. I love them especially for their uh, visual arts. You know, when I first saw them, I thought they were going to be a new way of telling stories. I don't think they've panned out so well. I think the puzzle games like Braid and Inside and Ico have done the best job of telling stories. But I think that what they really are is a way of uh, bringing you into a visual world, uh, which I think is great. I would much rather, I would much rather watch the uh, kingdoms and fantasy worlds of video games than look at a Jackson Pollock uh, or even most Picassos. I mean, most modern art to me is trash. It's the end of art. It's not actual art at all. It's just theories painted on by people who don't have enough talent to paint real pictures. And I think that the people who are making video games are actually making beautiful visual art. And the with the added uh, technical advantage that you are sucked into the art. So I agree with you on this. I think that obviously the fact that you are playing with your child uh, is the important point there. That that you know that's important. A kid going into a room by himself and playing for three hours on a video game not a good thing at all. And this is one of the the problems that we have in these discussions is that people point to situations like that and say video games are bad. No, leaving your kid alone in a room for three hours with a television set is bad. Uh, the vi it's not the video game is not the problem. Obviously, if you're playing the video games, you're policing them. The Star Wars games are very heroic and good stuff. Uh, so you know you're you can be on top of that. And I think it's really important to be involved. And, uh, you know, my son and I still uh, will occasionally get together and play a video game. Um, from Stuart, Lord Clavin, I am an educator in a private Christian school in Georgia. Uh, to, in public school, I could not discuss my conservative Christian beliefs. Uh, my liberal secular colleagues had no problems or issues discussing their viewpoints. Now that I can speak about my Christianity freely, I'm still discouraged from speaking politically. I agree that a teacher should not be able to provide both, should be able to provide both sides. Um, my question is, do you believe teachers should be able to discuss their political and religious beliefs with inquiring students? I'm not talking about proselytizing. I'm talking about both public and private education as well. I respect your academic and classical mind. I would love to know your thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, obviously, it's something you have to be careful about. I don't think that you're serving the parents. You're there to serve the parents by educating their children. You educate children by teaching them facts and by teaching them how to think. It is, there is nothing wrong with telling them what you think as, as long as you're not proselytizing. Now, if you're in a Christian school, you should be able to obviously proselytize Christianity because that's why the parents are sending you there. You're serving the parents by educating their children. But it is, you know, when you're in a position of authority, you do have to use that authority with care. And teaching is a meta-profession, like journalism is a meta-profession. Being an artist is a meta-profession. You're there to tell the truth not your opinions. You know, this is the thing. That's, this is why the left is so bad. And what you said in the public school was that you were not allowed to talk about your opinions, but they were allowed to talk about their opinions. Secularism is 
is a point of view. The idea that you're not having a, a religious point of view by being secular is absurd. So it has. So all these things have to be balanced, right? You have to be able to speak your uh, Christianity and your conservatism if other people are speaking their leftism and their secularism, and they probably are even in your Christian school. So it's it's really a matter to say, you know, in a way, I think that if you sat down with not just your administrators, but with administrators and parents and asked, what do you want? How do you want this to deal with? How do you want to deal with this? And spoke about this in a civilized way, which almost nobody tries to do anymore. It's all shouting and uh, accusations and covering uh, your butt. You know, if, if people sat down and conferred, there would be ways to address this. Of course, you should be able to give your, tell be a human being in front of people and tell them you have a point of view, I think that's actually important because it means that they can say, oh, you may be skewing this toward your point of view and, and raise other issues, and those might be things you'd be willing to discuss as well. But you don't want to be hammering people with your point of view. We don't like that when the left does it, and I wouldn't like it uh, if the right were doing it either. I think you should be teaching the facts and, and being clear about where you're coming from and what you think uh, without imposing it on people and allowing conversations uh, to go forward. Um, again, we're out of time, but it was uh, such a good conversation with Jenna. I didn't want to uh, chase her off. So we'll be back again tomorrow with The Andrew Clavin Show. I am Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental, and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listener.